Hi, everyone. It's a privilege having the opportunity to share some thoughts with you today as we finish up the Finding Life in the Psalms series here at the River Church. One of my favorite movies of all time is Saving Private Ryan. I'm not sure how many of you have seen it, but the movie begins at the end. We see an elderly gentleman, a war veteran, visiting the gravesites of fallen soldiers. The viewer gathers that the man is in Normandy, France, at the site of the D-Day invasion that took place decades earlier on June 6th, 1944. After the man is seen falling down to his knees, overwhelmed with emotion, the film goes back in time and begins to put together the pieces of the story that lead to this ending. I'm going to follow a similar pattern here. We're going to start at the end of today's psalm, Psalm 144. Let's begin with verse 15. Yes, joyful are those who live like this. Joyful indeed are those whose God is the Lord. How many of you want to be joyful? Joyful here is also translated as blessed or happy or content. I think it's safe to say that being happy is a common pursuit of pretty much everybody. I mean, if you have a choice between this guy or this guy, I think it's pretty safe to say which one you'd choose. But looking carefully at the verse in Psalm 144, we see joyful are those who live like this. Well, what is this? To find out, we're going to need to go back to the beginning and work our way forward. Let's read Psalm 144 verse 1. Praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. Now, in the past, when I read this verse, I would typically just pass right over it. This psalm is attributed to David, the ancient Israeli king who fought and killed the Philistine giant Goliath, who led his nation to victory in many bloody battles. And I would think to myself, well, good for David. He was a warrior, so he needed God to train his hands for war. He needed fingers that were skilled for battle. But that's not me. I'm not in the military. I can't relate. And I would move on to the next verses. But not too long ago, I had a bit of a revelation about this verse. See, I was on a business trip in the Dominican Republic, and after several days of a work-related conference, I had a few hours of free time one morning before heading to the airport. I went out for a run, and while I was putting in a few miles, I began questioning what I was doing. Here I was in the middle of what many would call a tropical paradise. I could have slept in, enjoyed room service breakfast from my balcony overlooking the ocean, went for a dip in the pool or the sea. But instead, I was dripping sweat, out of breath, just trying to keep putting one foot in front of the other in an effort to finish the five-mile route that would get me back to my hotel. Why was I punishing myself like this? One word, training. See, it was the middle of August, and I was following a training plan for the Hartford Half Marathon that was coming up in early October. And I knew that if I wanted to condition my body and my mind for the race that was coming up, I was going to need to put the time and effort to train according to the plan. I've discovered that it's far easier to drag myself out of bed early in the morning and go for a run, or choose the salad over the cheeseburger, or decide to take the stairs instead of the elevator when I am training for a race. I know that I need to be physically and mentally prepared for the challenge that lies ahead on race day. I know that if I am not properly prepared and conditioned, I am going to be miserable 
once I leave the start line on race day and start pushing towards the finish. If I go about my life eating whatever I want, sitting at my desk or on the couch for 12 hours a day, being lazy about my fitness, and then try to go run a half marathon, I will be in a world of hurt. I need to embrace the race, realize that I have work to do, and get serious about putting in the effort required to ensure that I am successful come race day. And back in the Dominican Republic, on that run, I felt like the Holy Spirit started talking to me. God brought this very scripture verse from Psalm 144 to mind. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. And I felt like God started showing me some parallels between physically training for a race and spiritually training for our lives. Let me explain a bit more. In the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth in the year 55 AD. Now, Corinth was a major city in Greece at that time, and every other year, the Greeks held an athletic competition known as the Isthmian Games. To illustrate to the Corinthians how seriously they needed to take the discipline of their salvation, Paul writes the following, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that fades away but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul is saying that just as athletes focus on their training for a physical competition, we, as followers of Jesus, need to be disciplined in our spiritual training because we are running a race. Not a physical one, but one of faith. Okay, so you may be asking, well, what does this have to do with training for battle, like David wrote in Psalm 144? Well, about 10 years later in his life, Paul makes another reference to this race. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. In this verse, Paul one of the most important figures in all of Christianity, equates our faith journey as both a race and a fight in the same sentence. Two words that both accurately represent this life of following Jesus. As much as we all want to live a peaceful, easy life, free of struggles and conflict, we need to acknowledge the fact that we are actually runners in a race. We are soldiers in a battle. Whether you like it or not, you are in a fight for your faith. There is a spiritual war raging against our own lives, our families, our souls, and our communities. Now, notice I said it's a spiritual war. You may have had an argument with your spouse as you were getting ready for church this morning, but please understand that he or she is not your enemy. In fact, Paul wrote this to the Ephesian church, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Note that Paul didn't say, every once in a while you may come across a problem in your life, so you should dust off your Bible a couple of times a year to remind yourself how to handle these issues. No, he said we are fighting, and we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. That sounds pretty serious. The message translation of this passage puts it this way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. 
This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. In light of this, we arrive at our first point for today. Embrace the battle. You and I must accept the reality that we are soldiers in a battle, one that has been raging for centuries. And with that in mind, Psalm 144 verse 1 suddenly become, became more alive to me than ever before. Praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. This isn't just a throwaway verse that we can skip past. This verse applies to each and every one of us. And now that we're clear that this verse is for all of us, let's look at the part that really matters. Praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. And this leads into the second main point for today. Embrace the chain of command. Simply put, God is in charge, and he will lead you through your battles if you will let him do so. He is the commander-in-chief, if you will, and we are the faithful recruits. Now, let's add in the following verse. Verse 2 says, He is my loving ally and my fortress, my tower of safety, my rescuer. He is my shield, and I take refuge in him. He makes the nation submit to me. Now, I can imagine David thinking back over his life and all of the struggles and skirmishes that he experienced, and he starts remembering all of the things that God has been for him. He starts going through the list, describing God as his rock, his loving ally, his fortress, his tower of safety, his rescuer, his shield, his place of refuge. He's like, wow, God is amazing. And then as he's pondering the greatness of his God, he suddenly pivots and realizes that In light of the bigness of God, David is incredibly small. Look at the next two verses. Oh Lord, what are human beings that you should notice them? Mere mortals that you should think about them. For they are like a breath of air. Their days are like a passing of shadow. James, the brother of Jesus, says something similar in his letter to first century Christians. James 4 verse 14 says, How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. Now, the intent here isn't to get us sad about how short life is or make us feel insignificant and worthless. No, this is about reminding ourselves that in light of eternity, the time we have here on earth to live for God is very brief. And that unless we recognize the greatness of God and allow him to be at the center of our being, we are going to struggle to find our purpose. And we are not going to be successful in the battles we face. I've never served in the military, but I understand that there are clearly defined roles within the chain of command, especially when it comes to fighting battles. Now, we've already seen some of what God does. He is our rock, our refuge, our tower of safety. But what about us? What's our role? Now, the Bible is filled with guidance and instructions on how to fight the good fight of faith. But I want to focus on a couple of things that are highlighted here in Psalm 144. And this leads us to our next point. Embrace your training. Up until this point in the psalm, David has been declaring who God is, what he does, and lamenting about his own frailty in light of God's sovereignty. In verse 5, however, he shifts into a direct petition to God. And that's the first part of our training plan. Pray. Let's look at David's requests to his commander-in-chief, starting in verse 5. Open the heavens, Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so they billow smoke. Hurl your lightning bolts and scatter your enemies. Shoot your arrows and confuse them. Reach down from heaven and rescue me. 
Rescue me from deep waters, from the power of my enemies. Their mouths are full of lies. They swear to tell the truth, but they lie instead. David knows that it's really God who has the power to scatter the enemies that we face. It is the Lord who has the ability to rescue us from our troubles. Note that David acknowledges that his enemies have power. He has faced and continues to deal with real, genuine struggles. And so do we. Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You've all heard the phrase, the struggle is real. And it is. But by following the training plan, we can move one step closer to that joyful life I briefly referenced at the beginning of the message. We pray. And that doesn't mean we just give a daily wish list to God. Yes, he wants us to come to him with requests in time of need. But even more than that, he wants us to spend time with him. And even more than that, he wants to spend time with us. God knows that the more we hang out with him, the more we get to know him. And the more we get to know him, the more we fall in love with him. And the more we fall in love with him, the easier it is to fight the good fight, finish the race, and remain faithful. But prayer isn't the only part of our training plan. David goes on to say this in verse 9. I will sing a new song to you, O God. I will sing your praises with a ten-stringed harp. In addition to prayer, we are also called to praise God as part of our training. When David says, I will sing your praises, he's essentially saying, I will make music as an expression of my gratitude to God. There's a reason we put such an emphasis on the music and singing part of our services here at the River Church. Training ourselves to focus on who God is and what he has done for us, and then expressing that through music, is a fundamental part of learning how to fight the good fight of faith. Prayer and praise. These are two essential elements of our training plan. You know, when I'm training for a race, I make sacrifices. I have to step up my game. I wake up early to run. I carefully watch what I eat. I'll take extra time to review my training plan. There are plenty of times that I want to skip my runs and just sleep in, but I know that if I don't put in the work, I will not be ready on race day. When you embrace the fact that you are in the middle of a spiritual battle, and when you embrace the chain of command and acknowledge God as your commander-in-chief, then it will make it easier for you to embrace your training plan. If you'll catch this principle, I promise you it will make a difference in your spiritual walk. I want to encourage each and every one of you to step up your game. Yes, you may need to wake up a little earlier to spend some time praying. You may need to turn off your favorite sports podcast and put on some praise and worship music and spend some time singing to God in your car. But this is what it takes to fight the good fight of faith. I know that praying and praising both may seem like strange ways to do battle. But keep in mind what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 10. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Prayer and praise are God's weapons, and they are powerful. Now, Let's have a look at where David goes next in the psalm. He continues on with his prayer, but see if you can pick up on the shift in his requests to God. Verse 12 starts like this. 
May our sons flourish in their youth like well-nurtured plants. May our daughters be like graceful pillars carved to beautify a palace. May our barns be filled with crops of every kind. May the flocks in our fields multiply by the thousands, even tens of thousands. And may our oxen be loaded down with produce. May there be no enemy breaking through our walls, no going into captivity, no cries of alarm in our town squares. Note that David is no longer just looking at his own needs. He begins to shift his focus outward to not only his family, but for his community as well. Earlier in the psalm, David was asking God to rescue him, but now he is using the terms our sons, our daughters, our barns, etc. He is asking God to pour out his blessings on all of God's people, on their children, their jobs, and their possessions. He's asking God to bring peace to their cities. See, when, when you develop a disciplined spiritual training plan, when you devote time to prayer and praise, when you step up your game and, and begin to fight the good fight of faith, not only will you find yourself getting stronger and more prepared to fight, but you will find yourself better positioned to help those around you. Think about it for a moment. Yes, you have your struggles. Yes, you are fighting your own battles. Maybe you're struggling with bitterness over a failed relationship. Maybe you're going through a financial struggle. Maybe you're battling with depression or anxiety. But if you'll look to your right or your left at those around you, if you'll look out your windows at your neighbors, if you look at your coworkers, they're all in a battle as well. They need your help. They need your prayers. They need to have their eyes open to see that God is their tower of safety, their rescuer, their shield. But how are they going to see this if you haven't even started your training plan? Several of us here at the River Church are part of a local running group. I joined this group about five and a half years ago. At the time, I couldn't run for more than 30 seconds without being completely out of breath. I joined a 5K training program with the group and several more experienced runners came alongside me and helped me go through the process of learning how to run a 3.1 mile race. These coaches wore special yellow vests with the word coach on them. So all of us newbies would know who to look to when we needed help. These coaches taught me things like how to slowly build up my endurance, how to breathe, the right posture to use when taking my strides, the right type of shoes I should wear, and all of the other things that go into successfully running 3.1 miles. It wasn't always pretty, and I was certainly not a very fast runner but I went through the training program and ran a 5K in June of 2016. I kept running over the summer, and then a few months later, our group launched another 5K training session for a new batch of recruits. I felt like I still had more to learn, so I signed up to participate. Well, to my surprise, when I showed up on day one, they handed me a coach's vest. I, I still felt very inexperienced, incredibly inadequate, but they reminded me that I had put in the work, I had done the training, and now I was ready to help others begin their journey towards improved physical fitness. I tell that story because I'm convinced that there are parallels with our spiritual race. You may not feel like you're an elite spiritual warrior, but if you will dive into your training plan, if you will be faithful to pray and to praise God, you will not only get stronger in your own faith journey, but you will be ready to put on a coach's vest and start helping others fight their own fight. You will be positioned to point others towards the Lord 
who is our rock. David had seen a lot of fighting. He recognized that it was God who trained his hands for war and gave his finger skill for battle. He realized that God was his ultimate refuge, even in the midst of the fighting. He knew that he needed to pray for himself and for others, and he knew that he needed to praise God. But why? Why praise God when we are struggling? How can we sing to God and tell him how wonderful he is when we are in the midst of suffering? Well, David covered this back in verses 9 and 10. He said, I will sing a new song to you, O God. I will sing your praises with a ten-stringed harp, for you grant victory to kings. You rescued your servant David from the fatal sword. David declares that he'll sing God's praises because God grants victory to kings. Now, David uses the word kings here, and you may be thinking, I'm no king. I can barely balance my checkbook and keep up with my laundry, let alone be called a king. But Get this, in the book of Revelation, John is writing to a group of Christians and says this, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you consider God your commander in chief, if you have put your faith in Jesus and believe that your sins have been washed away by the blood he shed on the cross, then you are already a king, and a priest in his kingdom. Which brings us to our final point, embrace the victory. David said to God in verse 10, you grant victory to kings. Yes, you still need to train. Yes, you still need to fight the good fight of faith. Yes, there may be days when you are struggling. But as David did, you can rest in the knowledge that God has already obtained victory for each and every one of us. Let's have a look at something else that Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have victory because we go to church. We don't have victory because we try really hard to be good people. We don't have victory because we vote for a certain political party. We have victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you embrace this fact, when you grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is for you, then you will, as Paul writes in Ephesians, experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And therein lies the victory. That's when you will experience the blessings that David talked about in Psalm 144. Remember how we started the message at the end of Psalm 144? Let's revisit that verse. Yes, joyful are those who live like this. Joyful indeed are those whose God is the Lord. Pat Benatar, 
once sang that love is a battlefield. But I'm going to steal that concept today and say that joy is a battlefield. If you want to walk in new levels of joy, happiness, and contentedness, then I encourage you today to embrace the battle, embrace the chain of command, embrace the training plan, but perhaps most important of all, embrace the victory that comes through Jesus. Oh, and by the way, I did successfully run the Hartford Half Marathon back in October. It wasn't easy, and I can honestly say that by the time I hit mile 12, I was questioning my decision to enter the race. I was tired, my legs felt like cement, and my lungs were burning. But because I had put in the training, I pushed through and crossed the finish line. I celebrated with friends and family, ate some amazing tacos, and even got a pretty sweet medal. It was a lot of work, but it was worth it. Whatever race you are running, whatever battle or battles you are fighting, don't give up. Push through, lean on Jesus, and know that the celebration that awaits you at the end will make it all worthwhile. I'm going to wrap this up now, but as we end, I want to jump back to Psalm 144, verse 5. David wrote, open the heavens, Lord, and come down. As we begin to celebrate the Christmas season, recognize that the prayer prayed by David here came to fruition 2,000 years ago when God sent his son, Jesus, down from heaven to earth. Jesus, who was fully God, became a human being, lived a sinless life, and then took the punishment for our sins when he was beaten and crucified on a cross. Jesus was killed in our place, but then he defeated death by rising from the dead. By coming down from heaven, he freed us from having to work our way towards God because God came down to us. It's in the person of Jesus that we find true victory. So again, we finish where we started. Yes, joyful are those who live like this. Joyful indeed are those whose God is the Lord. If you have not been living like this, or if your God is not the Lord, that can change today. Let me encourage you, put your trust in Jesus. Let him be the Lord of your life. Step up your training. Pray to God and praise him for who he is and all he's done. Not just on Sundays, but every day. Your battles won't magically disappear, but you can find joy in knowing that you already have victory in Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for your perfect word. As we close our time together here and head back to our families, our communities, our schools, and our jobs, I pray that you would train our hands for war and give our fingers skill for battle, not for a physical fight, but the fight of faith. May we, as the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, run with endurance the race that you have set before us by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We turn our eyes to Jesus today. And we thank you that we have victory in him. Amen. Amen.